Welcome to Political Zach, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's up, Todd? Hey, Corey. Hey, so I want to remind everyone that after this episode that we put on Facebook, we're going to repackage it as the Political Zach Heck podcast. You didn't know that? So you can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. If you like what we're doing here, we want to ask you to please consider giving us a five-star rating because that helps us with the iTunes search optimization. And we're slowly but surely uh, gaining a, g- a good audience, and, and that's fun. And, and uh, you know, if you have thoughts for us, let us know, too. So thanks for all that. Okay, last week we talked about Representative Steve Handy's write-in campaign against uh, the Republican nominee Trevor Lee. Remember, Lee beat Handy at the convention. And since Handy did not collect signatures, Trevor Lee became the Republican nominee and there was no need for a primary. So Steve Handy since then has decided to conduct a writing campaign. We talked about that last week. So we got we have a couple of developments, though, since last week. First, it looks as though uh, Representative Handy is receiving a big lift from many in the state Republican establishment for his writing campaign. Former Governor Gary Herbert officially endorsed him this week. And his latest campaign disclosure form that uh, the ending uh, September 30th shows he's raised over $72,000 since he lost at the convention. It's pretty good. So plenty of familiar names from uh, among uh, his contributors, folks who've contributed in the past. Also some uh, high profile Democrats uh, who, who have donated to his campaign. So, Todd, we also had some developments on the Trevor Lee side of the ledger. Let's talk about that in a minute. But first, uh, I want to get your take on the support Representative Handy has received. Well, I think, you know, Steve Handy's a, a popular incumbent. He's been in the legislature for um, 12 years. And I think um, his opponent, Trevor Lee, who did receive the GOP uh, nomination, he's, you know, he's generating a lot of negative publicity for things that he's um, said and done on mostly on social media, uh, including the revelation that he had an anonymous account that I think he made about 20,000 tweets from. And, um, you know, I think some of his, um, you know, and the, the media is clearly interested in this race. The media is clearly on Steve Handy's side. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think it's gonna be a very interesting race right now. Handy's getting publicity that he could never, even with that $72,000, he could never buy the publicity. <laughs> He's kidding. And so I, I think the race, I've been saying this for months, I'll say it again. I think it comes down to door knocking. And I think Steve has got uh, a solid core of volunteers that are going out every night, not every night, not Sunday nights and stuff like that, but going out knocking doors. Um, I think he's got some clever people running his camp, his writing campaign. I, I think Trevor Lee has hired a guy named Joe DeBose. I mentioned him last week and um, he's a pretty clever guy. And so I really think that this is the second most interesting race in the state right now um, behind Mike Lee and Evan McMullen. And I'm not even sure what the third race would be. I, I, you know, there's really two races that are kind of capturing people's attention and almost, almost every other race is a foregone conclusion. Either the Democrats going to win in Salt Lake County or the Republicans going to win outside of Salt Lake County. I mean, there's a few legislative races that could go either way, but not, not, not too many, not more than three or four. All right. So, we did have a couple of developments with Trevor Lee. So you just mentioned this last week. We talked about how 
the, the trip sort of revealed that Trevor Lee was operating a burner account on Twitter and he posted some controversial things we discussed. It was some of it was condemned by House Republican leadership. Well, so this week, the Trib's Brian Schott reposted something that Lee had posted on this burner account. Lee's post ostensibly gave a rationale for why it should be legal to euthanize the elderly, you know, to kill elderly people. And obviously, that's pretty shocking, pretty controversial thing to say. And it definitely popped my eyes when I first saw it. Uh, and uh, and Schott and the Trib were, you know, very quick to spread around social media. But come to find out, there's a little more context to the post. Long story short, it seems pretty clear that Trevor Lee was being sarcastic. He was mimicking some of the extreme ar arguments on the left about abortion, the pro-abortion side of things. And uh, Lee seems to be, he was, seems like he was arguing for the pro-life position, maybe using an extra dose of sarcasm. So I'm not saying it was a good or a bad idea to make those jokes, um, but the euthanize the elderly statement, I mean, it pretty clearly seems like parody. It was a joke. So, of course, the trip hasn't pulled back your criticisms at all, but uh, I'm Todd, I'm sure you saw all that. How did you interpret those posts? Well, I, I agree with you, and I received an email, and I saw some of Trevor Lee's explanations on social media. I don't think Trevor Lee wants to kill old people. Um, and on the trip side, I mean, all they did was they showed his tweet, and, you know, he's arguing that that is – um, somehow misleading. I mean, he is the one that tweeted it. I understand the context. I believe him on the context. Um, but I think it's it's a little bit disingenuous to say that, you know, Brian Schott or the Tribune's lying when they're actually just showing the tweet. And so he kind of threw him a softball and and they're hitting, they're hitting it. They're hitting a home run with it. And then he's saying, but, but, but you should have, everyone should know I was being facetious. I was being sarcastic. And as someone who is quite sarcastic myself, no, no, Tom Tyler, no. <laughs> you know, I, I get that. So I can, I can see both sides of this, but um, I, I don't believe he wants to euthanize old people. And I, I don't also believe that the Tribune has to try to explain his sarcasm. So, you know, I can kind of see both sides of this. Well, I guess that's a fair point. You know what? You're, you're right. That is a fair point. So maybe, maybe I'm being too critical because you're right. It's not up to them to provide context. Although you would think it's the responsible thing to do, but yeah. at the same time, Trevor Lee did take down his account. So maybe it's very possible and maybe probable that that context wasn't even available to be taken down. Yeah. Um, or Brian Schott saw the entire context from before. As soon as the thing was taken down, he put that little post up in isolation in order to represent something that he knew was misrepresentative. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so Trevor Lee, you know, I've met him in person now as of this week. Um, in fact, he just his his wife just had a baby, I think, uh, at 2 a.m., I think, on Saturday morning. So congratulations to the Lees. Um, he he's a relatively young guy. I think he's in his mid 30s. Um, I, I don't know that he has the best political judgment of any, of any candidate I've seen. Uh, I still think, you know, he's the odds on favorite to win. But I've been saying for a few weeks that I think there's a path there for Steve Handy. And I think that that path keeps on getting a little bit wider and wider. Um, a, a lot of people that were saying three months ago, they thought Steve Handy could not win are now telling me privately they think he will win. I think it's still an uphill battle. Um, you know, he, Steve Hannity's going to have to get at least 4,000 people to write in his name. I think his target is around 7,000. That's no easy task. Um, 
And national experts will tell you that a writing campaign will cost you about, you know, all, all in for the whole campaign, it'll cost you about $10 a write-in vote. Well, if he's got $72,000, that's 7,200 votes if he runs his campaign right. So I, I do think there's a path there for him, um, but it's a lot easier for people just to fill on that bubble next to the, the, the Republican candidate. So we'll see. Particularly when most people, I mean, you are famous, Todd, but most people uh, don't really know who their representative is. And yeah. If you were to poll someone in any restaurant at any time, ask no, them, you're who, right. who's your representative, they'd be like, uh, Mitt Romney? You know, they yeah. Know. But I will say this, you know, mid this is a midterm election because there's no presidential candidate. So midterm, midterm voters is a little bit lower turnout than a presidential. And I think the midterm voters are probably a little bit more studious. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you, you're going to get your ballot. You're going to have some time to think about it. So I think it's a little bit, I think it's his, to his favor that it's all mail and vote as opposed to people standing in line on their way to work when they're trying to hurry. Mm -hmm. and maybe they can't remember his name at that moment. So we'll, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Governor Spencer Cox was named a rising star by Time Magazine this week. He was listed as an emerging leader for 2022. The magazine highlighted his LGBTQ advocacy and willingness to veto the legislature's ban on transgender youth playing girls as high school sports, something we've talked about multiple times on the podcast here. Also remember, Time Magazine did a full profile of Governor Cox earlier this year. We talked about that. It was entitled, The Red State Governor Who's Not Afraid to Be Woke. So others on the Time 100 list include uh, Cassidy Hutchinson, the staffer who testified against Trump at the January 6th hearing. Democratic Senator uh, Chris Murphy was another one. The others I've never heard of, and now I'm paywalled out because I can only open a couple and then they <laughs> cut me out. So I'm not sure what they're being recognized for. No idea, to be honest with you. But anyway, Todd, Governor Cox is getting a lot of love from uh, Time Magazine this year. On the one hand, I'm sure it's very gratifying for him to receive national recognition. On the other hand, he's receiving the praise for some of his most controversial decisions as governor. So what do you think? Is the list, uh, making this list, does it help or is it un unhelpful for him? Well, you know, you and I may not agree on this, but I think that um, overall, I think Utah has a lot of extremely far-right conservative people, but overall, I think Utah is a relatively uh, mainstream Republican state. I think we're closer to Spencer Cox than we are to, um, you know, Greg Hughes. Uh, and I know Mike Lee is kind of the aberration there, but now Mike Lee's kind of in the race of his life right now against, you know, a, a so-called moderate um, middle, middle guy. So I don't think that this hurts Spencer Cox. I wouldn't call him woke. I wouldn't call him liberal. I would not even call him an advocate for the LGBT. What I would call him is an advocate for fairness, an advocate for a level playing field, an advocate for equal opportunities, an advocate for pragmatism, um, and you know, for whatever reason, the the, the far right in this country has kind of gone anti-LGBT, which I don't think is a long-term winning strategy. I listen to um, some of the Daily Wire podcasts uh, quite frequently, and almost every day they're saying something, you know, about the trans, you know, about trans transgender people. And it's usually not <laughs> positive. And I, I just, you know, I, I understand that we're in the midst of a culture war, but I just, I think that you can stand up for conservative and Republican values without, you know, going out of your way of, of harming 
uh, or or saying things that are offensive to transgender people and their families and and their and their friends. And I, I just happen to live in a neighborhood where several several of my neighbors, you know, have uh, transgender kids. And I I just watch these families struggle. Um, many of them I attend church with, and and, and uh, or I have a attended church with. And I think it's I think it's very difficult to be transgender uh, to start with, and then to, just to feel like you have. A political party or an elected official kind of piling on. I don't know that that's always the right move. And so I think that more than anything, I think that Spencer Cox is a tries to be uh, have empathy with people and be compassionate with people. And some people might call that being woke and being an advocate. I would call it, you know, he, he wants to be kind. He wants to be fair. So that that's all. I, I'm a big Spencer Cox fan. I've never I don't agree with him on everything, but I've never pretended otherwise. Um, he's not everybody's cup of tea, and that's fine. Um, but I think he's a very good person. I think he's a good. I think he's been a good governor. Yeah, he's, he definitely has a big heart, and uh, you know, I don't think we need to. I don't necessarily. I, I think I've said everything I need to say on, when it comes to the transgender and yeah. sports issues and kind of thing. Um, I think you're probably right when you said you you called him an advocate for pragmatism. My guess is that's probably where he would what he would call label himself is a an advocate for pr pragmatism as opposed to one group or another. Um, and the national spotlight is often good, you know, no matter what positive and negative, but, uh, I do suspect that he'd rather be recognized for maybe other things he's done. Like, you know, this last, in the last few months, he's, he's taken, he signed letters pushing to get back against the Biden administration's overreach on student, you know, forgiving student loans, for example, loan and yeah. a couple other things. And, and I suspect that he'd probably be just as happy, a little more happy to be recognized for those kind of things, or maybe his support for the Second Amendment, some of the things he's done. And, and by the way, I don't know if you caught it, but there was a, a story this week that the Department of Education has dialed that back for certain, depending on who who issued your student loan. So there's tens of thousands of people that thought they were getting that forgiveness that aren't going to get it now, uh, based on what I read last week. But let me just say one thing. You know, with, with Spencer Cox, we're trying to get the Olympics back to Utah. We're trying to get the NBA finals here. I think it's good for the state nationally for people to read that we have a a governor who's not you know um, crazy. I, I don't know. I I, I I'm, not, I'm not saying not crazy, but I think this is I think this is good publicity for the state. Uh, it may not be you know great publicity for people that you know are huge um, you know Donald Trump fans or whatever. But I think overall, I mean, for business leaders, for Silicon Slopes and all, I think it's good for. For, for there to be some national media saying that we have a good governor who's who's kind and fair and pragmatic. So that, that's that's the last I'll say about it. Outside Political Action Group Club for Growth. We've talked about them in the past because they've donated. They put money into the Mike Lee uh, campaign effort. This past week, though, they released an ad attacking Evan McMullen. The ad features three women at a table watching a CNN interview in which Ed McMullen says, quote, there is an element of the Republican base that is racist, unquote, except in the Club for Growth ad. Club for Growth has spliced McMullen's words, so it comes out as, quote, the Republican base is racist, close quote. Now, I actually, I'll quickly say, I think the ad is incredibly effective. I think it's one of the best that I've seen in a while uh, is from outside groups in Utah. I think the women in their conversation in the ad really fit Utah well, actually. And I've seen outside groups try to run negative ads in Utah that just don't work. Uh, you and I, I think, would probably agree that, you know, Utahns don't 
very often uh, don't totally appreciate the, the more edgy, hard, hard-edged uh, negative ads that maybe work in Ohio or other states. But I think this one hit the right note, I believe. So I think it's pretty effective. And, and McMullen saying Republicans are racist just pops in a way that I think will likely get the reaction they're looking for. I think the, the ad will definitely add the desired effect. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes so everyone can see. But that said, the ad clearly does splice McMullen's words and misrepresents what he actually said. Um, his actual words uh, saying that an element of the Republican base is racist is obviously much less jaw-dropping and shocking than him saying that all Republicans are racist, which is what the ad um, tends to lead you to believe. So, uh, and in fact, in the actual interview, he actually, he specifically says that uh, he does not think that all Republicans are, are racist. So, so in that sense, it's, uh, it's exactly opposite of what he actually said. Uh, he only thinks some of them are, he only, he only thinks some Republicans are racist, an element of the Republican base. In the interview, he said, well, my parents are Republican and they're not racist. Um, so, so I don't know that he called, I don't know that the ad says he calls them all because he says the Republican base, and I'm not sure that the base includes 100% of Republicans. But yeah, clearly Club for Growth spiced his words and they changed the context. I don't think it was a 180 degree change. I think that they did change it. And I've watched the original interview on MSNBC and, and whatnot. But I will say of the three women, I mean, this ad is clearly focused at female undecided voters, right? Or female voters who are leaning towards Evan McMullen. Um, I know one of the three women, Linda Cox, she's the one that calls him a charlatan. And mm -hmm. I can tell you, because I've talked to her about the ad, she believes that Evan McMullen is a char charlatan. And <laughs> that's based on the fact that he ran for uh, president saying that he would appoint justices who'd overturn Roe versus Wade. And now he says that we shouldn't overturn Roe versus Wade. So, and also he, you know, he still owes over $600,000 to vendors from his first campaign, but Club for Growth did not tell her to say that. So what they did was they had those three women talk for a half an hour and then they cut out, they spliced oh. what they wanted. So those were her words and she stands by them. That's really interesting and actually lends a lot of credence to the fact that when I watched that, I was like, that sounds exactly like conversations I've seen, you know, people have in the state. And it just, it just, I'm, I don't know. I, th I th like I said, I think it fits, fits the state well, but um, so it's, it's definitely less potent to sit, not to what he actually said that instead of saying the entire Republican base, but just an element, but, but he doesn't tell us, you know, what percentage of the Republican voters he believes are the base that are racist. He says an element, but the tenor of the entire conversation could really easily believe, lead you to believe that he thinks the element is probably pretty large. Something certainly bigger than the handful of thugs mark, marching in Charlottesville, which is kind of what they were talking about. Um, so it is true. I think maybe maybe we agree on this. I, I think that the article does use a little deception. It's a little unfair, but, you know, obviously political ads are rarely fair for better or worse. You know, it's just kind of part of the show, part of the thing. And McMullen's attack ads on Mike Lee are certainly no exception. They're just, you know, they also stretch the truth. But anyway, uh, you know, splicing his words, that's not the best thing. But I'm not so sure that it's actually that far off the mark from what McMullen himself believes. He, he doesn't believe that all Republicans are racist. Great. You know, that I guess, is, you know, so I'm sure is true. But at the same time, it does seem like he thinks that the racist contingent is pretty big. And it does seem like he's bought into the radical left narrative that, you know, a large portion of Republican voters are racist. And that's deeply disappointing. And of course, something I just totally disagree with and, and has not been my experience. Yeah, I think it was a mistake for McMullen to call for Mike Lee, you know, to ask for the ad to be taken down. I think it just drew more attention to the ad. I think more people are going to be curious 
and they're going to want the ad. They're going to look it up on YouTube or whatever. I also want to say, Corey, I was driving on I-15 today and there was an electronic billboard up and it had Mike Lee and Donald Trump on separate sides. And it had, you know, Mike Lee's quote about Captain Moroni. So McMullen, I don't know if it was from McMullen or from a PAC because I, I just I just saw it for a, a glimpse. But um, certainly they're they're going to try to remind uh, LDS Mormon uh, Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints voters uh, of, of, I think, a, a, a blunder. I, I think that was, um, quite frankly, a stupid thing for Mike Lee to say. But he said it two years ago. And I don't think that that's the issue that's going to be on the top of voters' minds right now. But but I do think that that was a mistake for Mike Lee to say that. Yeah, I mean, uh, that that to me seems like the kind of thing that could rub some people the wrong way who are probably already not necessarily yes. like loving Mike Lee. And yeah, yeah. for others, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't have made that. I wouldn't have said that. But, you know. But on a related I, note, uh, Mike Pence visited Utah this week to endorse Mike Lee. Yep. Todd, how much do you think the Pence endorsement helps? I look at Mike Pence has no base. He's not going to be the next president, although I, I would vote for him over some other people that might run for president. I'll, I'll say that I, I'm not planning on voting for him, but he wouldn't he wouldn't be at the bottom of my list. But I'll tell you why I think his vote, his his voice will help, because I think the people that like Mike Pence are some of the same people that might like Evan McMullen. And, uh, and so I do think when we see these polls like the one we discussed last week with 16% undecided. I think Mike Lee, I mean, I think Mike Pence could sway a couple, a couple percentage of those, you know, some of those 16% will, will, will consider his endorsement that it's okay to vote for Mike Lee. So. Yeah, that could be, although I think you're right that Mike Pence uh, doesn't necessarily have a base. And in Utah, I'm wondering who exactly, because I think the folks who would support McMullen are probably the same ones who view Mike Pence as, yeah, he did the right thing at the right moment, but otherwise he's a Trump sycophant, and I'm sure they're not fans of him or whatever. So well, the thing is, Mike, pick up their vote. Mike Pence, who I think is a good guy, a, a good husband, a good father, a good Christian, he, you know, the people that hate Trump will hate him be, always because he was Trump's vice president. And, and, and yet, you know, Trump, you know, was upset that he didn't, you know, kind of go through with the, with the full plan on January 6th. And so the, the, the Trump supporters don't like him because they consider him a traitor and, you know, he didn't, he wasn't willing to pull the trigger and, and all of that. So that's why he doesn't have a base, but I think there's a few people on the in-between. They're like, well, you know, I, I want the Republicans to have control of the Senate, but I'm not sure I like Mike Lee's text, you know, between the election of January 6th and all that. So I do think uh, it was, it was good for, I think if, I think if Mike if Mike Pence had come out and endorsed Evan McMullen, I don't know that it would have helped Evan McMullen a lot, but I think there's a two or three percent in there of the voters that might be on the edge with Mike Lee, and that might be just enough to push him over. And that, that might be all, all Mike Lee needs to win. Conservative magazine, The Federalist, published an article entitled GOP Senators Baffled by Mitt Romney's Ploy to Oust Mike Lee and maybe thwart a majority. So the article includes some less favorable quotes from unnamed colleagues of Romney in the Senate. Here's one. One senator said, Republican senator, these are all unnamed, unnamed sources, okay. I respect Romney and I understand that each state has its own dynamics, but I do not understand why he's remaining neutral. Whatever our differences, we should all try to support each other around election time. Uh, Another Republican senator said, we should not have to be worried about Utah in any way. I don't know what he thinks he's doing, but it's not going over well, particularly with the senators who are up for chairmanships. 
Okay, so now it should be qualified that the Federalist is not necessarily favorable towards Senator Romney. They, they probably were predisposed to not particularly like him in the first place, but and in many instances, I think they're more conservative and in some columnists are much more Trump fans than others. But I do think the quotes were a little bit interesting is why I bring it up. We've talked about how the entire Senate Republican conference endorsed Mike Lee a few weeks ago. And I think it's fair to say that not all Senate Republicans always appreciate Mike Lee's approach to the job. <laughs> they may not all be fans, uh, yet they all lined up behind him in, bat in, in hopes of reclaiming the uh, Senate majority from Democrats after four years in the minority. And I think that's the overriding drive for unity that uh, Republicans just need to win back the Senate. So, and, and of course, McMullen winning the race would definitely jeopardize their, their opportunity to take that. But Todd, what do you think of the article and uh, the situation between Senators Romney and Lee? Well, I think it, it's really an indication of how much more toxic D.C. is today than 10 years ago, because 10 years ago when Orrin Hatch was running for re-election, and I shared this article with you during the week, Mike Lee's uh, chief of staff came out and said that Orrin Hatch was, was going to lose the race, and Mike Lee said he was staying out of it. So Mike Lee as a U.S. senator, refused to endorse Orrin Hatch for re-election. And, and, and that was okay then. Ten years later, Mitt Romney says, I'm going to sit this one out. Does ex basically the exact same thing Mike Lee did ten years ago, uh, where now he's the junior senator. And now if, so all of a sudden, he's, you know, he should be ridiculed and scorned for that. And, and I do think both are true, because I do think D.C. is substantially more toxic today than it was in 2012. But I do think it's interesting that Mike Lee is now on the reverse side of what Mike Lee did 10 years ago. So. <laughs> yeah, you sent that to me. And of course, I was in the Senate at that time. And of course, I remember uh, his chief of staff saying that and being being appalled at the time. But I'm glad uh, I'm glad you you reminded me of that, because, you know, sometimes what goes around comes around. And I have been pretty critical of Senator Romney. Um, I do wish we could uh, support each other, you know, because I do yeah. think that there is a higher order of of needs right now you know, to re retake the Senate and so forth. But I guess uh, Senator Lee didn't uh, endorse Romney last time around. He didn't endorse Hatch, you know, very publicly. So I guess, you know, sometimes sometimes it comes back to bite you a little bit. Even so, I still wish Senator Romney would, uh, would endorse well, him. There's still a few weeks left, so. Yeah, maybe he will. All right, that's it. I think that's all we got. Hey, thanks, Corey. We'll see you next week. Thanks. See you next week.